Yeah, there's something about Rubio that like guys feel like they can bully him because he looks so friendly. Yeah, got the big, big eyes and looks like a looks like a Japanese <laughs> like Furby or I don't know <laughs> what are, a Japanese Furby. Yeah, I don't know what are those. Uh, I don't know what the Japanese little cartoon characters are trying to. I, I don't have even no know idea. Chibis. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I've never Just heard added of that, that out. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Howl History. Derek and Chad with you once again. Chad, how's it going, my friend? Good, man. How are you doing? I'm not too bad. We're in the middle of the NBA Finals. Get to watch every one of these games. Uh, ABC is always fun for that. And we're only 16 days away from the NBA draft, so things are, are up and running. Yeah, it's been a fun uh, fun series for me because I, I, I don't have a strong preference either way on either team. So it's been fun to... What I've learned yeah. is that I, I don't... I, I'm 37. I don't have like players or teams that I actively cheer for anymore outside of the wolves. Like I just enjoy good basketball. But what I have found is that I am much more likely to have teams that I cheer against than I am to have teams that I cheer for. So with, without a heel, it's, it's kind of hard because it's, I don't have anybody to actively like when, when it was Brooklyn, Milwaukee, I wanted Milwaukee to win so bad, but now right. I'm like, I'm not actively cheering against anybody. So I have a little bit less of a rooting interest, even though it's really, really good basketball. Yeah, and I would say I'm probably slightly more of a fan of Phoenix, um, but then Milwaukee's close by, and yeah. you know, it's hard not to like Giannis, and um, they're a small market team. So, like, I was rooting for them out of the East. Um, the weird thing is I like Phoenix slightly more, but I, out of all the players on either team, Chris Paul's the one I like least. So, yeah. it's kind of weird. I don't really have anybody on Milwaukee that I don't like. Jeff Teague? Um, uh, I don't really dislike Teague. Uh, let's say this. I hated Teague before the Wolves got him. Mm-hmm. I was mad when they signed him. or Yeah, it was, that was a signing, right? Not a trade. Yep. And he, um, I, I, I warmed up to him throughout the course of his tenure here because of you know his uh, propensity to stick up for the younger guys with the Jimmy drama. And he was always a pretty good interview with the media. But what really got me was one of his tweets Somebody had ripped him on Twitter, and he go, he said something like, "I literally only watch WWE. I don't watch any <laughs> basketball. Like it was something there. You're like, well, you know, why don't you do this or whatever? And he's like, I don't care about any of that. The only thing I care about it is watching yeah. WWE. And all. And then I went back and looked at all of his older tweets, and they were all wrestling related. <laughs> and doesn't he only tweet like once every two years now? So you know, yeah, if he yeah, comes yeah. In on something is a big deal. Yeah, it, they were super. Yeah few and far between. So, yeah. so that made me like him a little bit better too, that he didn't take himself so seriously. And I think what started me to dislike him was when he was in Atlanta and he had a little bit of a scuffle with Rubio. He seemed to like kind of take a cheap shot at him when yeah. uh, Rubio was with the Wolves the first time. Well, I so, continued once Teague, when Butler were here and Rubio was on Utah, they kind of right. attacked him again. Yeah. Anyway, so we are in the middle of the NBA finals. The Suns are beating the Bucks two to one. You know, the Suns look to be in, in control of the series after two games, you know, both being at home. But Giannis looked healthier and more comfortable in each game. And then uh, Milwaukee came out and really ran rough shot over uh, the Suns in game three. You know, once again, back at home, neither team has won on the road yet. So until one of them does, it's gonna, it looks like, it looks like it's going to be a good series. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, I've watched all of games one and two, and I watched probably two-thirds of game three. So I missed 
a few stretches during the game and it wasn't like all in one spot. Uh, so like I flipped to the game and the Suns were down 15, like in the third and they cut it to six and then it, I, I was doing something else and came back yeah. and the game got away from them. But um, yeah, I think they got it down to all the way down to four at one point early in the third oh, quarter. Really? It was like 74, 70. Yeah. Yeah. So it felt like to me that Giannis was just more comfortable at home to kind of take over. Whereas in Phoenix, I don't know if it's a little bit of the, the crowd getting on him at the free throw line or he just, he settles for more jumpers. He doesn't, he's not as aggressive, um, which then I think kind of cascades to everybody else because then everybody else is sort of out of position to do what they do best. Like Middleton's, you know, now he's got more traffic around him when Giannis is at the arc, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but, and then Aiton going out, with fall trouble hurt Phoenix as well. Um, Cause it's clear when he's in there, they're a different team and then they don't have Sarich, um, which hurts, you know, their bench is a little bit more limited. Right. Yeah. They're definitely limited when Aiden's out, you know, they can't really run on Kaminsky cause he's just going to get destroyed. Um, especially when Giannis is playing center in those minutes, but and it seemed like their, their comeback that I want when I saw it, when they cut it to six, it was mostly on a small ball lineup too. Like Aiden went out. I think Paul was even out during a, pretty long part of that stretch a little bit i mean cam cam johnson just went crazy which was awesome to watch he was, yeah he was awesome in that game at least in the third quarter which is yeah primarily when I, I, I was watching his big stretch but yeah so you know that's an interesting wrinkle for them with if things start to get stale maybe just go small and try to kind of get your your rhythm back mm-hmm no, I mean, it was, I was listening to the Low Post Hoop Collective uh, joint podcast that they do after each NBA Finals game. And after game three, they had Tyrese Halliburton from the Kings on to join them to just kind of discuss the game because he lives in Milwaukee. Um, so it was Brian Windhorst and Zach Lowe and then Halliburton. And he was saying, you know, everybody looked at game two when uh, Giannis had one of his best games ever. You know, he had 40 points, 15 rebounds, whatever it happened to be in, in game two. And um, they just didn't get any support out of Middleton and Drew, and neither of them could, you know, really showed up, so they couldn't keep up with the Suns. And um, Halliburton really made a good point. He was saying, you know, it's, you want to just blame the other guys for not showing up, but at the same time, Milwaukee changed the, the way they play in Game Three, where Giannis wasn't the initiator every time. If he's the one handling the ball and being the primary ball handler, everybody else just has to clear out and kind of wait for him to do his thing. Where if he's being a screen right. setter, if he's playing off the ball, he's still dangerous, but everybody else gets a chance to get into a rhythm and, and get their legs under him to, to have a successful game. So um, I like that point. I think that was a good one. Yeah, and I like I like that part about basketball when we get to this level, when we get to the finals and even the conference final games, that one-on-one playing is a lot easier to, to scheme against, you know, so those teams that don't really have a, uh, offensive system that they can fall back on. They just have, get it to this, get it to guy a, let them dribble the ball until he makes a move and tries to make a play and let everybody else just kind of figure it out from there. It, it's a lot, you know, the teams that are successful now, Phoenix in games one and two, and then Milwaukee in game three was, more of a collective effort, which is mm-hmm. there's been a different hero almost every every night, which um, to me is a lot more fun to watch than just having a couple guys go one on one, you know, sixty positions in a row. <laughs> yeah, and we've seen we've seen a lot of that over the years, so it's a right, it's a nice change right. of pace for the finals, absolutely. Um, and like I said, we're only sixteen days away from the from the NBA draft. It'll be on the the twenty ninth. Um, so a couple weeks from Thursday and, uh, I don't, I don't have a ton of thoughts on it yet. I haven't really done any research, especially since the wolves don't have any draft picks. 
Yeah, I don't have a ton of, of thoughts on the top guys. I don't have a ton of thoughts on the middle guys. I haven't done any scouting. All I know, Chad, is that I don't want no scrubs. <laughs> there it is. Yeah, scrub is a guy that can't go get no love from me. So what about you? No, I mean, I didn't. I haven't, same as you, I haven't done much draft research and stuff because uh, we don't have a pick. Um, I've actually spent more time watching uh, like the Timberwolves Clips guy on Twitter breaking mm-hmm. down Bomaro's play. Um, I've been going down rabbit holes almost a couple times a day, it seems like, because he'll he'll put out a bunch of clips in a row. So I start watching him. Do you follow him? Yeah, I do. Yeah. So he he does a really good job of breaking those down. But um, So Bomaro has been the guy I've been spending more time watching just because that feels like more of a sure thing mm-hmm. <laughs> that he'll be here than than any one of these picks, um, at least until you know some of these uh, you know, rumored trades or, or anything. Some sort of action starts happening around the league where – the Wolves maybe can get a pick, um, which I do think they will uh, somehow. I think they will they, they'll get a pick, draft somebody in the mid to late first round, and then it won't be a guy they rely on to play a lot of minutes because of whatever other pieces they end up getting. But um, I just, Rosas just feels to me almost like a fan getting that, that job of GM and, <laughs> and not, I don't see him being content going into a draft with nothing. <laughs> yeah, and Dane and Britt talked about this too, and for most of Rosas' comments during that uh, draft combine that they, they held, it sounds more like, you know, they've been in an asset accumulation stage these last two years, and now it's finally time to decide which players are the ones that are going to stick around and which ones need to be flipped for other players that fit better. So um, it seems more like they are going to be trying to be more specific in what they're, what they're approaching, what they're targeting in terms of a roster building standpoint and if a guy is talented but not necessarily the right fit they're gonna use that asset to try to go build the team they want they want it to be and that could be in any number of guys it could be um, you know a Malik Beasley all the way down to a Jake Lehman you know I don't know what that looks like and who's gonna end up being out the door but you're right I wouldn't be surprised at all if they end up with some, with a mid to late first round pick or even an early second to try to add you know a specific type of player to the roster yeah and, and I'm sure they'll they'll get their fair share of um, un- undrafted signings as well because they've been one of, if not the most aggressive team the last two seasons in mm-hmm. that sort of role. So um, there will be some young guys that certainly are worth researching now. <clears throat> I think once we have a little bit more of an idea of if and where the Wolves might pick, it, it'll be easier to kind of target the guys that might be in that spot for the Wolves um, to kind of narrow down the guys I want to research. <laughs> yeah, no, I hear you there. So there's a, a Shams report this morning uh, in, on The Athletic. It basically just reiterated everything we've talked about in, in the past with the different targets the Wolves have been interested in going after. But it, it said that the, the Philadelphia 76ers are starting to actively engage teams in Ben Simmons' trade talks, which is a step up in at least severity from where we've been before and everybody just assuming that Philadelphia is going to trade Simmons due to his playoff performance. But uh, Minnesota is obviously one of the teams that's actively engaging in those trade talks and interested in and acquiring him at, at putting him on the team. Um, lots of reports out there that they're looking to add him next to Cat and Ant and D'Lo instead of using um, any one of those three in the trade. And Wolfson, or Darren Wolfson, um, came out today in his podcast and even said that Philadelphia isn't even necessarily interested in D'Lo if he were offered in part of the trade. So um, if it were if it's going to happen at this point for Minnesota, it's really looking like they're going to need to bring in a third team because Philadelphia, according to the Shams report is interested in acquiring an all-star level talent or something along those lines in, in return. So 
Um, Minnesota's going to need to find a Kyle Lowry or something, you know, another sign and trade option to really pull this whole thing together if they want to make it happen for Ben Simmons. Yeah, and that makes sense. I mean, you know, they're one of those teams that were, you know, right there. They're they're one or two pieces away um, from really competing for, uh, you know, the Eastern Conference Finals at least. And right. so that doesn't shock me. I mean, I think it, while I wouldn't want to give D'Lo up in that deal just because I want to see what that group could look like together, I do think D'Lo next to Embiid would be a pretty fun duo to watch. I think he's mm-hmm. a much better fit than Simmons, at least offensively and defensively. And Bede can kind of anchor the defense, you know, for the team. Um, and they can supplement that with other complementary pieces, I think, easier than they can getting a guy like D'Lo playing on offense. Now, if they can get a Kyle Lowry, you know, great. Uh, I, although I think like if, if a Kyle Lowry is the guy they're going to target – a package of like Ricky and Beasley and a draft pick or two draft, two first round picks mm-hmm. down the road becomes a pretty compelling offer, even for a team like Toronto. Um, just because that, you know, that's not that far off of a talent gap between what Kyle Lowry's at now at 34, 35 years old and what Michael Beasley was doing prior to his injury. And then having a, a veteran point guard like Ricky plus two first round, it, that just seems like a pretty fair deal. Like I saw, I think the four teams that were rumored to be in the mix are Indiana, Toronto, the Wolves, and Chicago. I'm, I'm missing one, I think. Um, oh, no, Sacramento. And okay. I don't – somebody said that they felt like the Wolves definitely don't have the assets to give up to get them that all those other teams do. And, I mean, unless Sacramento's given up Fox and other stuff or Chicago's given up – Levine, which they probably would, um, and other pieces. I don't think the Wolves' offer of Rubio and Beasley plus two first-round picks would be any worse than any of those what those other teams could offer. It really depends on what they, what they'd be willing to put in. Just the same as us too, though. You know, like you look at Minnesota and anybody outside of anybody in Philadelphia, especially, is saying, "Well, if Minnesota, you know, let's try to get Ant in the deal." And anybody in Minnesota is saying, "No, there's no way we're including Anthony Edwards. It's just not going to happen. That's not team building. That's." swapping out our future for something that is kind of broken at the present. So um, Minnesota wouldn't do that. And I'm sure you can look at all the other teams too. And if you look at Toronto, you can say, well, maybe they would include Ananobi and, you know, Siakam if you're Philadelphia and that's what you're asking for. And Toronto would say, well, no, we're not going to include both, you know, Ananobi and Siakam. We might not even include Ananobi as it is. Maybe we'll do a Siakam for Simmons straight up trade, but you know, that's a salary for salary, you know, so you got to walk through each and every team and Chicago is like we've talked about before. It, it makes sense to take a look at a, a Zach Levine for uh, Ben Simmons trade. You know, that's been rumored out, uh, to be out there and um, just one that kind of fits the gaps for both teams, but who knows if either team will get to that point of Philadelphia wanting Zach Levine. If they don't want D'Lo, you know, it, is Zach Levine a huge step forward? You know, or and even Chicago wanting Ben Simmons, is he the right pairing next to Vucevic? Are they on the right timeline? Is that the right the right guy for the rest of the roster? I don't know. I mean I don't I don't know enough about Chicago to know if that's the right answer. Yeah, but. it doesn't seem it seems like they have more problematic fits than the Wolves do in terms of a, as a trade partner. Because yeah, I mean Levine and Delo are comparable, but I think Delo fits Philadelphia better for what they need. Mm-hmm. Um and Simmons to going to Chicago to pair with Vucevic I mean, Embiid and Simmons didn't work together. Why would Vucevic and Simmons work better together? And, and that window's 
smaller because Vucevic is older. So yeah, except for the fact that Vucevic is a cat-like floor spacer. I mean, he's a, he's an outside shooter. He's not the down low presence that Embiid is. Yeah, but he's he is, but he's not. Uh, he's not on cat's level. To, nobody, to nobody is. Nobody yeah. is. That's my point. Is it, he, like just because he can do that, does he offset? Simmons's deficiencies enough mm-hmm. to make that pairing better than him and Embiid, and I don't, I don't see any way that Simmons is better. Simmons might be better with Vucevic, but as a pair, I don't see how they're better than Embiid and Simmons. No. And if they're not, then why do you make that move? You already saw what right. that looked like in, in Philly. So, and then the fact that um, or I shouldn't say it's a fact; it's another report says that Chicago is also one of the top teams interested in Lonzo Ball. Which you know, if if they're going to trade Levine and get Simmons, would you really put out Ball no, and Simmons? You can't pair those two. No, so that yeah. seems weird too. But now that doesn't mean one is true and one's not. That could, Ball could be their Plan B too. You know, mm-hmm. I don't. So I get I get all that. It is funny though, like like you said about like Wolves fans not wanting to give up Ant, and I, count me as one of them. But just kind of rewind it to last draft, which. That was more like in the fall, so it wasn't even last summer. Right. If you would have asked me to, would I give up our, both our first-round picks to get Ben Simmons last year? 100%. Yeah. Easy. I would have been all over that. Now, yeah. I don't know that I would. I, I know I wouldn't include Ant, and I'm 99% certain I wouldn't even include Jaden McDaniels in a trade to get Ben Simmons, even if it meant us keeping. I'd rather trade out D'Lo than to get Simmons and to trade out Jaden McDaniels to get yeah. Simmons. Well, I'm sure somebody like McDaniels is going to be a sticking point in negotiation if Minnesota and Philly actually get close to nego- negotiating on something. Because if you're Daryl Morey, you're absolutely demanding that Jaden McDaniels be included in that trade, even over a, a future draft pick that Minnesota could throw in. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see where that ends up. Um, you know, and I keep getting whenever I keep thinking about Ben Simmons, I always like. I'm not going to ignore the talent, and I think that you just put as much talent out there as you can, especially when you're Minnesota and you just find a way to make it work, especially with the spacing that Cat and D'Lo would offer for Ben Simmons and the complimentary piece that he'd be for them defensively. But I don't know. We just saw a whole season of Cat's spacing providing room for Anthony Edwards and how much that freedom that gave him to drive into the lane and to be a distributor. I do worry a little bit about Ben Simmons's inability to space the floor and clogging up the lane for Ant again. If there's all of a sudden another defender or another power forward just sitting down there waiting for him, every, you know, probably a center for the other team because you put the power forward on Cat and you put the center on Ben Simmons down low, you know, or whatever it happens to be. There's just another big body down there waiting for Ant when he's driving now. And I just, that worries me a little bit um, in terms of the spacing that we would talk about if you we were looking at the other power forward options that we've had, you know, discussed in the past, whether that's Miles Turner or John Collins. But would it be that much worse spacing you know, because a lot of those minutes were with Vanderbilt, who's right. I'm not saying not, Vanderbilt's the best either. I don't think he's the right. Or I know, I know. Yeah, I know yeah. you're not saying that. I'm just saying, to me, it's at worst a push from what it was this past season in yep. terms of the spacing, because you're you're flipping Vanderbilt out of the starting lineup for Simmons, mm-hmm. assuming you keep D'Lo. Obviously, Simmons would be yeah point guard if D'Lo has to, to go out, and then you're then you're swapping out Rubio like minutes. You know, when Ant and Cat and Rubio were on the floor, that kind of spacing. Um, and I think Simmons is a little bit better with the spacing than, than even Rubio because while he's not an outside threat, what he is a threat to do is if you swing the ball over to him on the outside, he has the ability to explode and still get to the hoop. Yeah, which, he can attack the basket. 
it gives it does create some space there because the defender has to still be honest. Whereas a guy like Rubio, it, they don't have to play as tight because he's not really a threat to take the the three, and he's not really a threat to beat the guy off the mm-hmm. dribble either. Um, so you know, it, I, I think it would be better either way. I don't think it's going to be markedly better. So I I agree with you to an extent that it's going to be something to watch because we don't what we don't want to see is them go backwards. And I don't think there's yeah. much fear of that. But what we would like to see is them go forward with it. Hence the John Collins type rumors um, to 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 make that spacing even better than what it could be, which we never even really fully saw because if Beasley was healthy, then we would have had even more spacing on the floor for Ant because then you have Ant and Beasley, D'Lo, and Cat. You have three shooters around Ant who can drive. Oh, and that point, McDaniels is probably sliding up to the four as well. So... Yep. John Collins is another guy that was in Shams's report this morning. Nothing huge or earth shattering. Once again, uh, Minnesota was listed as a team that's interested if Atlanta decides that he's not going to be uh, worth the money that he's going to get in the open market. Their owner did come out after they were eliminated from the playoffs and say that they would love to have everybody back, but they're not probably not going to be a team that can pay everybody. Um, so it's, it's, I think during their run, while they were surprising everybody and overachieving, it seemed like a, for- a foregone conclusion that he'd be back with the way that he was fitting in around that team. But there's a, still a very good chance that he gets an offer that Atlanta decides not to match. No, whether or not that's Minnesota that can make that offer, if we w- decide he's worth thirty million dollars a year at a max contract, and we want to put together the assets to make a, a to do a sign and trade, I don't know. I don't know if that's what Minnesota was hoping for when they tried to, you know, acquire him last season, or if they're hoping that if they got him in the door that he would, you know, be available around a twenty to twenty-five million dollar range to be a little bit more, you know, cost-effective. But um, we'll see. And like I said, they're they've been rumored for a long time to be interested in John Collins. So whether or not that actually comes to fruition is still yet to be seen. Yeah, and I, you know, I think it. I mean, I love John Collins, but because of his playoff performance, his price just went way up. And I think you got to be really careful if you're any team on how much you're mm-hmm. willing to to spend to get him. Now, he feels to me like one of those guys that after the big name guys are gone, he's that that um, second prize. And so somebody will give him probably close to full max just because yep. they will have lost out on other guys and then they'll end up just like, well, we have all this money to spend. Um, so I could see him getting that deal. I just, I hope that it's not the Wolves, you know, the Wolves swinging and missing on Simmons and then, going all in on Collins. Like if we can get Collins, you know, not at the max and I'm all for it. But if, if you have to go all, all in to, and pay him the max to get him, I don't see how that helps us short term or long term. It might make them slightly better in the short term, but man, you can't really round out a roster when you have three max guys and, and your best one's cat. And then the other two are arguably not max players. Right. So, if, if you have a team with three max guys and only one of them is, you feel good about being an all-star, you're kind of in trouble. So um, I like John Collins. I, I think he would fit great both offensively and defensively and, you know, in the gaps provided by, you know, Carl and Edwards, and, you know, fit in around those guys the same way he kind of did for Atlanta. But as a role player, as a fourth most important player on your team, I don't, I don't see him as a, as a max guy. So we'll see where that ends up going. Um, you mentioned Lonzo Ball earlier. Sham said that New Orleans is going to have a limit on how much they're willing to pay him. So he could be very well available. Um, I think you said that uh, the Lakers might be interested. I think you mentioned Chicago earlier. So I just know he's one of your favorite players, and we've talked about him in the past, so I wanted to make sure we got him here on here again. 
Yeah, New York. I think it's one team that's interested in him, although they're, uh, the last two days, New York's been linked to Colin Sexton more than um, Ball. So, you know, maybe they've cooled on him. But, yeah, you know, I, I, I think it's the Ball in New Orleans days are done for sure. I think he's mm-hmm. um, moving on. It's just a matter of where. And then the Clippers were another team I read yesterday that was um, interested in, in bringing him in there. I don't know how that works at all. I don't either, clearly. Yeah. If New Orleans is only going to let him go if the price gets too high, I don't know what the number is, but it's definitely higher than what the Clippers can offer. Yeah, it clearly would be a sign and trade of some kind. I don't know what I don't even know what they would be able to give up, you know. But right. they were they were one of the teams and you know, I if if uh Ball wanted to get back on the West Coast, I'm sure they can probably convince yeah, they can find a way to, to work out a trade, but he doesn't seem like the type of player that has the cachet to be able to pull that kind of thing off at this point right now. But, but who knows? You know, the Clippers are another team that they didn't make it, and now they have to make a big move. So mm-hmm. that's where I can see it, what, why it makes sense for them. Where they're making a big move to make a big move. You know? Right. Um, I don't know that it makes them a better team. Uh, as much as I do like Lonzo Ball, I you know I don't see. I mean, especially now the other news with. Um, Kawhi Leonard having a surgery on a partially torn ACL, you know, he'll likely miss a chunk of the season. So now you're coming back with Paul George and the same crew that just got bounced. Um, and you add Lonzo Ball to that. Does that make them, you know, significantly better? I don't, I don't know that it does. And I, I don't know how Lonzo Ball helps a team where you got both Paul George and Kawhi Leonard like to facilitate the offense. Um, and then you have, you know, your the other guards in the team, like Patrick Beverly and, you know, Rondo is probably gone in that that deal. But um, it just seems like too many ball handlers and and kind of an odd fit to me. But yeah, I don't see how Reggie Jackson is back next year. I'd assume he'd be getting a pretty decent size offer after the way he played in the playoffs. Some, you know, elsewhere and the Clippers just don't have the money to give him. So yeah. they, and maybe that's maybe that's the. The deal, it's a sign and trade. Reggie goes to New Orleans and yeah, I don't possible. know. I don't know. Yeah, I still don't know how that works. I could see Lonzo in uh, Portland if he wanted to move back west. I think if they decided to shuffle some deck chairs around and McCollum ends up getting moved for a different position, he'd, he'd be a nice fit as the other guard next to next to Dame. Yeah, it's but, weird, to, yeah, weird to connect them there. But I agree that he could fit there. It's weird to connect them when they have kind of two tweener guard. Well, Dame's a point guard, but CJ could play point guard. And you get... And you're adding a third one. I mean, I I know you're suggesting yeah. sending CJ out for that, but yeah, I could see him there. I mean, I could and I could see him going back to the Lakers, um, but I don't know how the Lakers bring Drummond back, get Lonzo. I you know, it's another team. I don't know how they're going to spend the money to to right. get him. So. Yeah, yeah. So no, I hear you. I we'll mean, see. with Kawhi being out, like you said, he's probably out at least until December. You know, there were some comparisons to Spencer Dinwiddie from this year, and with the amount of time that he missed, he never he didn't you know he injured himself around December and he didn't come back by June when the Nets got eliminated. So he had a partially torn ACL as well. And if Kawhi is going to be on that same timeline, he's like being out through the end of the calendar year and hopefully coming back for, you know, the second two thirds of the season and rounding into shape for the playoffs. You know, they're always going to be a threat if, if Kawhi and Paul George are both healthy, but I don't know. And, and I don't, I, you know, Paul George is one of those guys too, where he was sort of looking like a disappointment until Kawhi went down. And then I just don't know that they're a great fit together. I mean, I know mm-hmm. that's why the only reason why Kawhi chose the Clippers was on the condition they bring in Paul George as well. But I, to me, you almost have to break up those two. And now might be the time to do it because 
Paul George's value has got to be higher now than it was last summer. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, you, you kind of build some chemistry with, with the remaining guys and the new guy you get and then get Kawhi back. And I don't know what that looks like. I don't know who I haven't put a lot of thought into who I think would be a better fit with Kawhi, but it just seems like Paul George and Kawhi aren't gelling together. No. You know, they're so, I mean, it's just when you just take turns, it's kind of like what they did in Houston with James Harden and Chris Paul. They weren't maximizing their abilities. Right. It was just, we always need, we, it's good to always have somebody on the floor that you trust to run the offense. And, but when, when they can't play off each other at all, it's just taking turns. It's never, it's peak. Brooklyn. Yeah. I mean, all these teams that, that load up on a couple primary ball handler stars, they're mm-hmm. just, they're like, yeah, we have no imagination on how to find a way to win or create some sort of system. We're just going to take two elite players and throw them on team together and then just let them take turns. And that's our offense. So right. it's like, well, one guy goes down and now your team can't function. So, and even when they're there, they're, you know, and as we, you can see in the playoffs, it's a lot easier to scheme and, and stop one of the two guys. And now you can't win because you need both guys to have a good games in order to win. Cause you don't have any supporting cast. So yeah, it's a, I, I don't like that trend. Um, and I, you know, I, I think having teams like Phoenix and Milwaukee in the finals will, will help at least create a counter to that trend by having other teams try that method. Like we talked about last week, the Wolves playing as a Phoenix-style system. Yeah. Do you feel like either Phoenix or Milwaukee has a chance of making drastic changes if they were to lose this finals? Or do you think they've both gotten to a point throughout their, their run here that they're, everybody's pretty safe and they'd be willing to run it back? I think both are probably pretty pretty set on running it back. I mean, I think I just don't know what a drastic change for either team would even look like. Now, if you're saying a drastic change would be Milwaukee's willing to move Brooke Lopez, sure, I can see that. No, I mean, but I could have seen if if they had lost to to Brooklyn, you know, and they were two inches away from doing so, mm-hmm. I could have seen both Bud being fired and Middleton being traded for a different complimentary and, and Giannis being upset and starting to right. chirp a little bit about wanting help or wanting out. Um, yeah, yeah, and, yeah and for I sure. Yeah, I don't feel like beating Atlanta should have quieted any of those concerns. Atlanta just wasn't. I mean, I know they beat Philly and they played one, you know, one heck of a, a postseason. But I don't. I don't feel like that should be enough to say, like, you know, what all of these concerns that we had a series ago are now gone because we beat Atlanta. So, you know, it's just I know that getting to the finals acts as a panacea to all your concerns, and you're willing to try again because you got so close. But if they lose four-one, if Phoenix comes out and wins Game Four here, you know, and then just closes it out at home is that kind of you know is that enough to really say like you know what we got close but we weren't as close as it seemed yeah i i think logically you're correct i and i agree yeah. with you 100 percent that if they're smart and they do get bounced for one they do shuffle it a little bit i don't know what they can do but you know middleton was great i mean he hasn't been himself in the phoenix series but i've i've really liked his play in this playoffs you know, for the, yeah. the entirety of the playoffs. Um, but so I agree that logically that would make the most sense to make a move if, if they don't beat Phoenix or they don't even take it to six or seven games. But I don't see that, you know, you're in Milwaukee that hasn't won a title since 1971. They're playing with house money, I think, as an organization. I think Giannis is going to be content with making the finals and be able to convince himself like yep run it back we got drew holiday now we got chris middleton played well in the playoffs the three of us plus you know uh, a pretty deep bench 
Um, yeah, we'll run it back. We don't need yeah. it. We don't need to bring another star in. So I, I don't think there'll be the same level of concern as there would have been had they lost to Atlanta, right? You know, or to Brooklyn. Um, and so I, I, I think. Well, I think you're correct. I don't think they think they're going to think that way. Just by just they made it to the finals. I think that's you know mm-hmm. ultimately what their goal was. Like I know everybody says they want to win a title. I don't think if they went in going into the season, Milwaukee expected to win a title if they're really being real with themselves. I think they would have thought the Lakers, the Clippers, or the Brooklyn Nets would have been all yeah. too much of a hurdle for them to overcome. Um, and now that they made the finals. I think they're they hit what they wanted to do on the best case scenario. So, yeah, and I, I mean, I think the the most optimistic and exciting thing that I'm I'm con- going to continue to watch for in these finals is, you know, we talk about you know the difference between Jordan and LeBron a lot, and one of the things that Jordan has going for him is that he had a he had a linear career. Everything started in a point. He had to beat each hurdle individually. He had to get to past the first round. He had to get past the second round. Get past the conference finals. Once he beat Detroit, then there was just no stopping. He went six for six in the in the finals, and then kind of walked out in his own terms. And sure, there was the Wizards thing at the end, but that was nobody ever held that against him because it was just old man Jordan coming back just to have some more fun with it. He wasn't expected to be a championship contender anymore, and he wasn't. No, and there was an ownership play there and everything else too. Yeah, yeah. So, but and LeBron's career hasn't been as linear. It hasn't been as you know, I'm going to reach the pinnacle. I'm going to stay at the pinnacle and walk out on my own terms. So he hasn't had the storyline. He hasn't had the the last dance to look back on to just kind of have the, the narrative. And the one thing that I've kind of looked at with these finals is if there's anybody in the league right now who has the chance, I'm not saying it's a likely chance because it never is, but to really have a chance to put together a linear progression in their career like this and to take hold of the league as LeBron steps out, it's Giannis. I mean, he stepped in in 2013. He was a, a no name, you know, drafted in, in the mid first round out of Greece, worked his way up from a bench guy to a starter, to an all-star, to an MVP, you know, struggled to get out of the second round. Then he finally gets to the, the top here. And if he can pull out a finals win here and with the way that he's been playing, he's going to be given all the credit for a finals win if they win. Um, and, you know, I, he has the type of career that's built in a way so far that this could be the the first step or the next step in just kind of his progression to, you know, superstardom long term to being a you know what Bill Simmons was call, would call a pantheon guy, one of the top 20, 15, 20 players of all time. You know, and it's going to take a lot of steps after this. I'm not saying that he's, he's given it, even if they win this year, they've got a lot of hurdles each and every year to move forward. But um, if there's anybody in the league that is young enough, but also you know successful enough and um, in the right spot to kind of take things over, I think he's in a really great spot for that. Yeah, I think he is. I think you know the odds of that happening are are pretty slim. I mean, the deck's kind of stacked against him. He's on a small market team mm-hmm. in an era where superstars are, are jumping ship the moment something doesn't go exactly their way. So even if he s- stays in Milwaukee the entirety of his career and has some success, there's going to be other stars that are going to be jumping, trying to form these other super teams that Jordan didn't really have to go against. Um, and, and, you know, and like you said about LeBron, that's part of the difference between Jordan and LeBron's story too. Is LeBron moving, you know, to all these different teams, going from Cleveland to Miami, back to Cleveland, and then to LA? That disrupts that sort of team building um, that Jordan had. Jordan had the opportunity because he stayed in one place for the bulk of his career. They could build a, a, a dynasty there without any disruption. You know, really. I mean, they. 
They lost Horace Grant, and then they replaced him with Dennis Rodman. I mean, it was you know pretty interchangeable there. Um, and they lose John Paxson, they add Steve Kerr. Like those types of things, they're just replacing the sort of the the rotational guys around on the supporting cast. And in LeBron's case, LeBron was the the Jordan. He's he's moving, and then it's a completely different group around him each time. So it's a harder path, I think, that what LeBron was trying to do, even though he needed to do it because he wasn't going to be able to build that same sustaining dynasty type team in Cleveland because you know that it was a smaller market, and while they they can build a a team that's good enough to win one title or or be competitive, yep. it's a lot harder there to build a. Uh, a perennial winner, I think. No. And I think that's yeah. what Giannis will face too. I, I think the other guy that could fall into that camp, though, is, is Booker. You know, I know Chris Paul's gotten so much credit for the Phoenix run, um, but, you know, again, I, I've said it before, but they were 8 0 in the bubble last year. They were showing signs of being this team even before Paul was there. Chris Paul went was out for a couple games in the playoffs with the COVID protocols, and the Suns didn't seem to miss a beat. Um, but, you know, you take eight and out in game three because of fall trouble and they weren't the same team. So he's really important to the team. And I and I still think Booker's the best player on that team. Um, again, he also has a long way to go to be, you know, that mm-hmm. sort of. I mean, he has a couple of steps to take just to even get to where Giannis is right now. Right. He does. He does. I, yeah. But he he's he's at a point earlier in his career than Giannis was when Giannis yep. was Booker's age. He wasn't quite at what where Booker's at now, I guess is what I'm looking at. So Booker has an opportunity to get there as well in a much less um, trying path than what Giannis has already taken. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's on a team that, you know, he has a running mate that seems to be a, a better complimentary piece and piece in Aiton. Whereas Middleton's a, a really good piece. I don't know yeah. if you're, if you're really building a dynasty type team, is he a number two or is he a number three? You know, they almost feel like they need another, a second guy, um, you know, in holidays sort of filling that role now. Um, but they almost feel like they need one more guy as good as Middleton that is in that same window with Giannis that can extend that, this run for them. And yeah. I don't know how you get that with in the position they're in now, but no, they've traded all their assets to get holiday. So this is their team for the foreseeable future. Right, and that's like you said, like they blow it up. But I don't, I just don't see that now that you're in a, the finals. No, I hear you. Uh, last piece of news we found: uh, Chet Hol- Holmgren, the local boy uh, from Minnehaha Academy, he's going to be playing at Gonzaga next year. But right now, he's playing in the uh, under nineteen World Cup. He took uh, he took home MVP honors, Chad. He ended up beating yeah. uh, France France by two in the championship game. He actually went up uh, against the, probably the number one prospect in the world, Victor Wembanyama. Um, he got outplayed a little bit in the championship game, but the U.S. took home the gold medal, and and Holmgren got the the MVP award. So, congrats to the local boy. Yeah, it sounded like he had a pretty good series all around. He averaged like twelve points, six boards, three assists, and you know just under three blocks. Was shooting uh, pretty high, sixty two percent from the field. Just doing all the things you you want to see uh, a guy at with the sort of the reputation he's already sort of built for himself and the notoriety he's already achieved, you you know, he's delivering. Um, so yeah. good, good to see. It'll be fun to see Suggs and him, you know, go high in back-to-back drafts and get a little bit more recognition on the, the Minnesota basketball scene. Oh, those two and the Paige Beckers. And I mean, it's, yep. you know, Minnesota basketball's really showing out. 
last couple of years. Yeah, she had a, she had a great speech at the ESPYS the other night. That was pretty great for her. She did. But uh, all right, Chad, we're gonna play a little game. I'm gonna see. We're gonna see if we can make this a running thing. And I think with the Timberwolves, we are going to be able to. So this is gonna be called "How's Your Panic." So I'm gonna list some, some categories for you, some recent news, and you're gonna tell me on a scale of one to ten how high it raises your panic level in terms of Minis- uh, the future of the Minnesota Timberwolves. All right, you ready to go? I'm ready. Let's do it. All right. Category number one. Anthony Edwards sprained his ankle in the USA uh, select team. Wasn't able to finish out the camp. How panicked are you about Ant's injury heading into the season? Well, that that night I was a 10. Because <laughs> um, I saw the pictures of him like being helped out yeah. of the, the building. But now I'm like a 2. Like it's not, okay. it doesn't seem, doesn't seem too bad. And he's the type of guy that, you know, I don't want to jinx him. But he just doesn't seem like the type that will sustain, you know, multiple injuries or he just doesn't seem like an injury prone type of guy. He just mm-hmm. seems like one of those athletes that seems really durable. Well, I think he, so he posted like on his Instagram stories the next day that he was heading back to the gym already. So I don't know. I don't think he was playing basketball, but he was still getting a workout in. So, yeah, but it seems like it would be one of those, maybe he misses a game or two if it was like the regular season. Right. You know, we'll see, but hopefully well, yeah. fingers, but fingers like crossed he's good to go. Yep. Okay. Yeah. We got a two. All right. Number two. Uh, Robbie Sicca, who's been a, the, in charge of the Timberwolves uh, health and wellness programs over the past couple of years, he's one of the first hires made by Gerson Rosas when he took over the team, is uh, resigning from his position with the Wolves and leaving a, a big gap because not only was he in charge of his area, but I feel like I, from what I've heard, he's been very involved in all aspects of the team, um, especially with his work on the COVID front and helping out the NBA and the U.S. as a whole with the, the rapid testing and the saliva testing and whatnot. But uh, he's walking away. He's leaving to go try other ventures. Uh, how panicked are you about the needing a new head for our uh, player wellness organization? Uh, like a one. And that's not a reflection on Robbie's job or anything, but it's I, th- I think we're, you know, I think all the players on the Wolves team have been vaccinated, so I don't foresee there being much COVID-related issues. And then we had a lot of injuries already with yeah. him this season. So I don't know that I'm panicked that it would, that situation would have been worse without him. <laughs> like, I don't know that, you know, I don't know how it could have gotten any worse, right? You know, you're your best player out for half the season, your second best player out for half the season. You had Beasley out for, you know, a third of the season. Um, I don't know really how much worse it could get. <laughs> Whatever their strategy has been for communicating injuries or holding guys back when they're close to return has just not won them a lot of fans in, in the local uh, the local area. So, I, I, like you said, I don't think that it's going to make a large impact, and it, it can't be a whole lot worse from what they've experienced the last couple of years. No. So. All right, number three. In their first two games of the uh, Olympic friendlies, Team Nigeria has beaten the U.S. and Argentina. Is Josh too, Josh Akogi all of a sudden too good for the Timberwolves, and is he going to be forcing his way out anytime soon? How panicked are you that we're going to lose Josh Akogi because of this recent run of success? Oh, uh, like eight and a half. Okay, <laughs> good. Well, mostly because he's he's like he's also playing point guard. It seems like yeah. for for Nigeria, which um, seems to work pretty well for him. But he's he's not like he's putting up all some crazy numbers that we weren't. You know, they're very similar to what he put up even with the wolves, you know, he'll have yeah. you know, four points on two of seven or whatever it was the, against the U S and he was like a plus 11, which mm-hmm. is very, very similar Josh to what he would do here. Yeah. 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 He would, you'd look at his, his Conian stats and be like, Oh, he's awful. Why was he on the court? And then you'd see, right. Oh, he's a plus 15. Um, so 
No, but I I, I, I wouldn't say I'm eight and a half. I'm joking, but I'm not worried about somebody taking them. Yeah. Um, or I'm not worried about if the Simmons deal, for example, that Philly's like, nope, we're not making a deal unless you add Josh Okogie because Okogie's not Ant or Jaden McDaniels, even though Okogie was my my Jaden McDaniels a couple years earlier. But right. he's, I got Jaden McDaniels now. So I'll, Okogie's expendable if it means I can keep <laughs> McDaniels, but I, I, sure. I do yeah. we keep both. Mostly tongue-in-cheek, but uh, we, we yeah. are pr- happy for Josh that he's having some, some success. Hopefully, once the real game starts, he'll... Uh, Continue to play as just as well, and his team will will round into shape. A decent little squad. I didn't get to watch the game, lots, but lots I watched, of NBA players. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, on NBA TV, they sort of did like a high speed rewatch. No, it was just like ex- extended highlights. I would say, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so I, I watched that, and yeah, they you know they have Mike Brown as coach, and they were kind of a fun fun team to watch. Well, on the flip side of the coin. Leandro Balmero has lost to Nigeria and the U.S. How concerned should we be that Leandro Balmero is a bust and we shouldn't even worry about him coming over next year? Yeah, again, a one. Uh, yeah, <laughs> like I said, I'm, I kind of tipped my hand earlier talking about the Timberwolves clips guy on Twitter yep. um, because watching all those Balmero highlight reels and uh, tape that he's been posting, I, I'm pretty bullish. I'm pretty excited to see him come over and play meaningful games for the Wolves. So, you know, I'm not – look, Nigeria has been fun to watch. they got a couple NBA players on the team, like you just pointed out, and then USA is supposed to – like, Team USA should have beat them. You know, there shouldn't, mm-hmm. shouldn't have been any drama there. So, um, no, no big deal there. All right, and finally, Team USA in the Olympics. They did beat Argentina, but they lost to Nigeria and Australia. Is this the end of the USA dominance, dominance as we know it? How panicked are you that the USA is no longer on top of international basketball? Well, I'm uh, I, I'll, I'll, like a five, but I'm a nine on this team, if that makes yeah. sense. I, I think this roster has some serious problems um, in this this Olympics. They, they're going to struggle, but I don't think this is also our best team. Like if we wanted to construct the best team, LeBron would be on that team. Mm-hmm. Kawhi would be on that team. There'd be a lot of other guys that aren't on that team right now that are on there. It's just, and it's um, you know, and Popovich is coach I, who I love. Um, but I, you know, there's no chemistry. It's hero ball. It's all, it's everything that's wrong with the the parts of the NBA that I hate is like the team USA right now. It's like just a bunch of sort of individualized moments, not like a flow of an actual game. It just feels disjointed and discombobulated. So I don't, uh, I, I don't enjoy watching it. So I, I, I I'm, I'm severely concerned that we're going to get bounced or we're going to be a bronze medal finish again this year um, in the Olympics at best, you know, that might be too much to shoot for, but we'll see. Hopefully they can pull it together. Um, it just, it doesn't look good so far. How about you on that? What's, what's your, uh, fear level on level? that? Yeah. Uh, probably a three. I don't think, I mean, I guess until they lose, I'm not going to expect them to lose. Um, it is very, you know, a little bit, 2004-ish with, you know, the Iverson team that just came in and just tried to throw, ta- you know, their second level of talent against a wall and try to win without, you know, actually playing together. But um, but I still think they've got, you know, a better talent, you know, ros- ta- more talented roster than any other team in the world. Well, it's just gonna yeah. Be of- for, and they for sure have more talent. Yeah, they for sure have more talent. It's just, does talent beat good play? 
Right. And I don't think it does, you know, and I don't, that's the problem. I, I just, it's like, I, I don't like this um, trend of just like, again, we see it in the NBA too, but it's way more obvious in team USA of you mm-hmm. just like try out better talent and just expect them to just figure it out. And it, like when you're not connected, it's not going to, the team's just not going to be able to perform at, at a high level when you got everybody trying to do their own thing, trying to trying to get their stats, trying to get, you know, their highlight reel, whatever it is. It's, I'm not even saying these guys are selfish. I'm just saying they're going out there and there's no system for them to kind of fall into. So they're all just kind of like trying to do what they do best to kind of to get themselves going. And by them doing that, it's at the expense of their teammates, you know, because there isn't a, a sort of a synergy there. And, you know, in the in past, they've always come... Um, made the case that the other national teams had had more prep time together. And I don't think you can really make that case this time. So, uh, Kevin Love will save him. <laughs> He'll be the MVP of the tournament. So, well, I think that's about all that's going on right now. Uh, we'll probably be you know back in a week or so to talk about more Wolves news. We'll see what the panic level is at for any rumors that might come out with free agent contracts they're looking at offering or trades they're looking at making. Um, but Chad, this is Howl history, so let's take it back for a few minutes and and do a little bit of '90s notes. All right, last time we left you, we were heading into the 1990 preseason. It's an interesting time for the Wolves. They're heading into their second season. They're going to get the, the target center. They're moving out of the, the Metrodome. Um, so they're you know lot, trying to build on the momentum of their first season. Um, they had a couple of uh, contract snafus you know, heading into training camp. Gerald Glass, their, sec- their second first-round pick, uh, even at one point re- you know, requested a trade because they couldn't come to an agreement on, on a contract. But literally the day after he requested the trade, they came to an agreement on a contract. So nothing big to report there, just kind of uh, negotiating in the media. Um, but the Wolves got to, got to the preseason. Um, they, and they had some just, I don't know if they're, if we're through our research and the rest of the seasons, if we're going to find a crazier preseason in terms of just the, the different things that happened in the games, you know, and, and I'm not going to run through every single game, but there was a, Tyrone Corbin hit a 30-foot buzzer beater at the buzzer in their first preseason game for a win. And uh, Corbin had gone 0 for 11 from 3 in the 89-90 season. So the likelihood of him hitting a 30-foot buzzer beater was just super low. Um, As we noted last week, the team only shot four threes a game. So the likelihood of anybody hitting a 30-foot buzzer beater on that squad was slim and nil. (laughs) Yep. So he he had that shot. uh, Sam Mitchell scored 26 in their second game, but they ended up losing to the Hawks. And then the the Sixers had, or not the Sixers, the Wolves had their first ever game in Target Center. It was a preseason game against the Philadelphia 76ers, and they lost 102-96. But the the thing that overshadowed the whole game was that Philadelphia actually inserted Ahmad Rashad as a substitute in the third quarter, as kind of a ploy with the NBA to try to uh, build up um, some some notoriety for the NBA and NBC, which was entering its first season. So Ahmad Rashad, who was not an NBA player and was just a sideline commentator for NBC and had been a former Viking, Minnesota Vikings you know, football player, he was inserted for three minutes of this game. So that was the, the big story heading out of it. He made one shot. Uh, he, they set a triple screen for him so he could get a one open shot, and he made it, and he was one for one in his NBA 
preseason career. Oh, that's not too shabby. No, I good for him. I didn't know that. Our inside stuff guy. Yeah. You'd think that they would have, if the NBA was going to make that sort of a ploy, they would have done it with uh, the Bulls being that Ahmad Rashad was like BFFs with Jordan. You'd yeah, I mean, they were, they were super their, close. but Their friendship was probably just starting around that time because that's probably when uh, they started getting to know each other because Ahmad was covering the yeah. NBA. They probably didn't know each other super well in 1990. Maybe that's why. But Right. So after that game, the Wolves... The Heat, the Hornets, and the Magic actually took part in what was called an expansion team tournament in Charlotte. All four teams went and they played a, a four-team tournament. Uh, Minnesota beat the Heat in the first game in what ended up being a crazy finish because in overtime, Tony Campbell was fouled with 25 seconds left on the way to the basket. He made the shot, but the referees determined that the foul occurred on the floor, so they gave him a side out. And what they didn't realize was that that, that had actually been their second foul of or Miami's second foul in overtime, so he should have gotten free throws. And when Miami called a timeout with five seconds left, tried to set up a potential game-winning shot, the refs actually realized what they had done. They went back, they gave Campbell the two free throws, so then Miami was all of a sudden losing with 5.4 seconds left and had to change their play to try to tie the game and ended up missing. So the Wolves won 199 in overtime, but I don't know if I've ever heard of the refs like literally changing their mind later because they realized they got something wrong before no. the replay era. No, well, they usually wait. And just apologize after the fact, especially if it was to uh, help help a Minnesota team. Right. I mean, it's a preseason NBA game. If you lose by two or whatever, it's, it's not a big deal. But but yeah, they got it right, and they went back, and they gave them the two free throws. So that was pretty crazy. Um, that's just kind of not a precedent that I've seen. I haven't seen many mistakes like that, but I, I definitely haven't seen a refereeing, a refereeing crew go back and change it. Um, but yeah, the Wolves ended up winning uh, the expansion team tournament. They beat Charlotte 93-88 in the next game, and... Uh, there was a whole article about where they're going to put their first trophy as a franchise. And uh, I don't know if they really have many since, but um, but they got their, their first trophy in the expansion team preseason tournament uh, in 1990. Where's our banner hanging in Target Center for that one? Right? Expansion team <laughs> tournament. Yeah. <laughs> no expansion teams included. But yeah, Gerald Glass had a couple 18-point games. He really showed out as a... You know, as a potential uh, wing scorer moving forward for the team. Um, Felton Spencer had an 18-point, 16-rebound game, so he started to play really well as a as a center. The Wolves talked about doing, you know, having a twin towers lineup with him and Brewer on the floor at the same time. Um, but overall, it was just kind of a crazy preseason. You know, it is preseason. There's not a lot that you can glean from it. You don't know how, how good or bad a team is going to be from the way that they perform. But uh, I just those are some stories that I were so unlike anything you normally see from a preseason, even as teams travel all over the country trying to play in small arenas. That was, those are just kind of crazy. Yeah, that's fun. It's kind of cool to hear that story about Ahmad Rashad too. That the NBA mm-hmm. was kind of gimmicky, just trying to uh, you know build up some some. I mean, can you imagine the NBA today putting in Kevin Hart or some somebody right. some celebrity? Yeah. I, I mean, I actually play Hart's in a real game. Athlete. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they do that with the celebrity, you know, all-star game during all-star weekend, but to put them in a, even a preseason game with actual NBA players, is just, that's <laughs> crazy to me. Absolutely. You know, and the, so the last, the last note from preseason was that uh, Scotty Brooks sprained his foot, which was just a minor injury, but in order to uh, cover for that, they went out and signed point guard, Jim Thomas to a two-year contract who had spent a little bit of time with the, the Timberwolves the year before, but um, Pooh, you know, should have had that job in lockdown, but 
uh, Musselman was always in search for a, another point guard on his roster, whether it was Scotty Brooks or the, uh, the offering they made to Steve Kerr, bringing in Jim, Jim Thomas here. And, uh, you know, he never seemed to be quite happy with the, what Pooh was giving him at the point guard position. It's He only wanted his guys, it seems like. Yeah. So oh, you wonder how it would have been if he would have got Tim Hardaway. Yeah, you know, if that would have been different. Yeah, but since that was the guy he wanted, would he have just handed the keys to Tim Hardaway and never looked back? Mm-hmm. Whereas with Pooh, it's almost like he was he was looking for him to fail without even, you know, without Pooh doing anything wrong. I mean, those right. early years, Pooh was awesome. So yeah, but anyway, the Wolves are heading into their second season. They had the you know an all all rookie first team player in Pooh Richardson the year before. They still have Tony Campbell, who was their best scorer. Uh, Tyrone Corbin, you know, they're, they're twin tower centers, especially their new rookie. Uh, they definitely have some pieces that can look to continue to grow and, you know, young guys that can get better. So we'll see if they can improve on their 22 wins from their, from their initial season and uh, move it forward here, Chad, but, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing where they go. Yeah, it should be fun. I know there are 200,000 to one odds to win the NBA title in 1990. <laughs> All right. So <laughs> get right, your bets would, in. Yeah. If if we could go back to 1990 and you didn't know what what happened from this point forward, would you, would you place a bet on 200,000 to one odds? I, I still probably yeah, I'd probably put 100 bucks on it. I mean, why not? Yeah, that's <laughs> if it goes if it happens, you're in. Yeah, yeah, right. All right, buddy. Crazy. It's been good to talk to you. Yeah, you as well, man. All right, have a good See week. See you next time. Yep, take Bye-bye. care.